Isn't it a blessing to be able to come together on the Lord's Day morning to appreciate the genuine privilege that Sunday morning brings? And I know that as we come together today and just to reflect on the songs we've already sung, songs such as, I love my Savior too, songs such as, Heaven came down and glory filled, of course, my soul. And of course, that song that we just led about mansions over the hilltop, all of that reminds us about the glorious promise, reward, and hope that awaits the Christian. And as we are gathered together today for at least the part of our service time that's shortly to follow, the nature of maybe one of the most profound, one of the grandest of all questions, what's the purpose of life? As I stand before you this morning, there are many who no doubt would perhaps wrestle and argue greatly with what we're about to do over the next few minutes, arguing that something as profound and grand as this cannot be addressed in such a short amount of time. I would think that in the earnestness of the next few moments, we can certainly use the Word of God. On this introductory slide, I've asked you to consider these things. Isn't it true that life brings so many differences, uniquenesses, if you please, there are those that are young and those that are older. There are those that are female and those that are male. There are those who are skilled in various capacities of life. We're very different. And so to ask the question, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? Why are you here? Those who are philosophers and those who are to some extent various psychologists have wrestled with this for ages for millennia, and the writings on the theme, in fact, number enormously. I would think that my, we might do it the following way. Let's take the first few moments of the lesson this morning and offer some of the thoughts that men have, in fact, encouraged, and then we'll devote the bulk of our lesson following that to revisit the Word of God. It is with that in mind, I would perhaps ask all of us, before I even turn the slide, if you were to suppose that we polled the human family and asked, why do you think you're here? What's the purpose of your life? What kind of answers might we get? What kind of philosophies might we encounter? As you and I close that slide and transition to the next one, I'm just going to list a very small number of the ones that one might encounter in the writings and in discussion. First of all, there are those who would assert that, let's face it, the purpose of life is to enjoy what you can while you're here. Cast a spotlight on laughter, enjoyment, entertainment, whatever makes you happy, whatever you want to do, do it. And do it with all the fervor and gusto that you've got. Doesn't that remind you a little bit about the philosophy in Luke chapter 12? You recall the man whose crops had brought forth so much that his barns wouldn't hold it. He had this idea, I'll tear down these barns and I'll build bigger ones. And this is what I'll say, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. There it is. Eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy what you got. You can perhaps tell there's a very selfishness to that philosophy. Looking out for yourself without much concern for anybody else and also not much concern for any grander purpose than that either. You see, that's one well-known philosophy. There were some of the ancient Greek society who encouraged it, and there are many in our day who still, in fact, it seems, are given to it. That's only one philosophy, though. 
might I suggest before we leave it that Solomon had some interesting things to say about that philosophy. I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes 2 at some point. We'll not refer to all of it, but could I just ask you to remember, Solomon tried it. He said, I sought laughter and mirth. That's exactly this. Whatever makes you considered enjoyment. Solomon said, I tried it. It didn't work. I tried it, and there is not a deep-seated meaning to life to be found in that. Look at number two. A different philosophy, and yet there are those today who will very strongly encourage it. It's love. In fact, would you note this quotation? It is verbatim. A, one source that I consulted, in fact, directly said it like this, The purpose of life is to love. And then he elaborated, To become one with love and then to radiate that love outwards, to serve, to shine, and to share our light with the rest of the world. Now you'll notice this particular source has boiled it down to love. You serve others as you illustrate and show the element of benevolence and love as you serve them in whatever way you can. You can perhaps tell that there's a very different way of looking at things based upon this one compared to the first one. There have been many, of course, motivated greatly by this attribute in love to give of themselves in a rather selfless way to improve the lot of others. Maybe you can think about those in your life, those who have acted in a way, one way or another, motivated in some way like this. It is to say, then, that these two are among others that could be listed. Look at the third one. There are those who would very strongly assert the purpose of your life or mine is to improve our lot and our station in life. And by that I mean you make things better than when you found it. Could it be said when you and I depart the scene of this life that we, the others who have known us and the circumstances in which we've touched, it is better when we left it than it was when we found it? As long as we could say that, some would say, you have fulfilled your purpose. You did what you ought to have been doing. One more time, you can see that no doubt many have reasoned that to approach life that way certainly leads to a betterment. Those who discover things, those who in fact will directly improve the standing of others. Interesting to think about it that way, isn't it? And yet all the while, might we ask one more time, is that the purpose of life? Suppose I use my time and talents through life, and I'm never able to invent anything, and I'm never able to proceed to the point of making a worldwide improvement when I die. If I haven't done that, then have I fulfilled my purpose? Number four, there are others who would be quick to say, that as far as the purpose of life, it is no more than this, to do your duty in whatever station of life you are found. For some, that's more noble things, and for others, that may be less noble things. But the point is, whatever stance and whatever place you are in life, some would say your purpose is to do your duty, whatever that happens to be. For some, of course, that might be the role of motherhood. For others, the role of fatherhood. 
for others, various other roles that we may occupy in life. May I again ask, is that the purpose of life? I believe, even before we look at the last one, it might be fair to say, remember, these are human suggestions. I'm sure that your feeling is much like mine. I would really hate the thought of sojourning through life with no one's opinion more noble than these. I'd like more authority, wouldn't you? I'd like to know that someone who knows the answer has told me what it is. Look at number five. There have been those who have asserted rather strongly. Some philosophers, in fact, who've said, let's face it, the purpose of your life is to live on in whatever way you can. And, of course, their thinking is typically through their offspring, through your children, your grandchildren, others that you directly can influence and impact, and you live on through them. And for those people, that's the purpose of life. Now, I stopped the list at that point because I don't want to take any more of our precious time in assembly on human answers. But you probably have often thought about considerations either related to one of these or some combination of them. One more time, what's the purpose of life? The sojourn that you and I enjoy in this life, however many years it may be, what's the purpose? Why are we here? Thankfully, we have a book that provides the answer. And we must not rely upon what men may suppose or what men may assert because, again, those will not be final answers of authoritative value. That Bible that you're holding, why don't we open that and look at just a handful of passages. And as we do that, again, our guide, our goal is to address them in such a way in light of our question today. As seen in this passage, as seen in this particular assertion from the God of heaven, what's the purpose of men's life? What's the purpose of existence upon this planet? I might say at this point that you know that scientists are rather oft interested in finding life on other planets. And so they search the heavens with telescopes and other scientific paraphernalia, intently searching for life somewhere else. Because you see, in many instances, the matters we're about to discuss today are not a part of their thinking. They're not a part of the innate value and fundamental character of life. We're going to look at some passages that begin in the Old Testament, but we will quickly find our place into the New Testament. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy first? Right now, why don't we ask it this way? Think about ancient Israel. Those descendants of Abraham through Jacob, those that in fact were the twelve tribes, those that became such a vital part of the way in which God's dealings in the Old Testament era were presented. Let's just for the moment ask about them. What was their purpose? Why was a person who was a Hebrew a Hebrew? What difference did it make? Why were they on this planet? At least if we were to begin our journey with them it might point us in the direction of our lot today. In the opening verse of Deuteronomy 4, we find this statement. You might recall Moses, of course, speaking to the people, but he was declaring the things of God. And God, through Moses, said this, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto 
the statutes and the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Now, of course, they're speaking to this group of people who had just recently come out of Egyptian bondage. They were wandering through a wilderness region. They had the hope of, of course, occupying a very treasured land ahead of them. But in the midst of that journey, God said this, Israel, hearken, verse number 1, to the statutes and judgments. Which ones? The ones I teach you. And then He said this, the result of this was, when you do them, you will live. Now let's face it, weren't they alive? Their heart was beating. Their mind was working. Their lungs were respiring. They were alive, weren't they? God said, I'm telling you, to live, you need to keep my commandments. You need to not only do them and hearken to them, but you need to allow them to be a part of you. And when you do that, you will then be blessed to occupy the land. And he closes the verse like this, which the Lord God your fathers giveth you. To that group of people, God said, in order to live, in order to thus occupy what in the future you can be, you've got to hearken to my commandments. You need to, in fact, obey them. Now, at this point, as you and I have noted, to a people physically alive, he said, to live, to really live. You've got to do more than just think and respire and have a heart that beats. You've got to hearken to my commandments. Turn over just a few chapters and look at chapter 8. Again, it's the opening verse of that chapter, but again, God, through Moses, says this, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe, to do that ye may live, and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. Now, you may think, well, doesn't that sound a lot like the previous verse? You may have often noted that repetition is often a grand way to learn and to understand. And here, through Moses, God said, all the commandments. Previously, he'd said, hearken to the statutes. Now it's obey the commandments. And then he said this, that you may live. If you really want to live, Israel, it will begin and end with keeping my commandments. It will begin and end with being faithful to my statutes and judgments. Now, in light of that, they would be blessed to go in and occupy that land. But isn't it interesting that it was involving, of course, their purpose was to keep commandments. Did you notice in both these verses, nothing was said about what we would recognize from the human standpoints of a few moments ago. Nothing was said about that. Not only that, look at verse 11 of this same chapter. They were told that even in light of acquiring many of the things which, of course, the human family enjoys, they were going to go into a land and they were going to have some land and it was going to be fertile and they were going to be wealthy. That sounds a lot like that first philosophy we noted earlier. Get what you can, enjoy it. God said this, verse 11, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten 
and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, and thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. Now many would say, according to this human philosophy, looks like that's it. Gold, silver, nice house, plentiful possessions. God said that's not it. Because if you enjoy all of that but forget God, you're far worse off. So far, at least in light of Israel, their purpose surrounded the matter of serving God. But let's look at Isaiah 43. Because in that passage, maybe we find it stated most directly. In Isaiah 43, verse number 7, again, God through the prophet, speaking to Israel, said it like this. The power and majesty of this text is very compelling. May I read it as Isaiah worded it in the long ago. Even everyone that is called by my name. Now may I pause and say the context identifies he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Hebrew nation. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God said, Israel, I made you. Why? For my glory. Your sole purpose for existence was to glorify me. The sole reason you were here, the considerations why you were to do what you were to do, it was all to bring glory to me. I have made him for my glory. Now with God saying that, that, that's stunning in a way, isn't it? But isn't it relieving? The purpose of Israel is not to be wealthy. It is not to acquire great herds. It is not to build goodly houses. Now, God may bless you with all that, and that's fine. But that wasn't your purpose. Your purpose was to glorify me. With that as a backdrop, with that as, in essence, a springboard, why don't we look at some other passages, not necessarily talking about ancient Israel, but what about us? What about me? Put your name in the sentence. What's my purpose for being here, and what about you? I've asked you to consider nextly, the nature of Christ and that which we find in Him. We might well begin by recalling in Genesis 1, we know that all of us are made in the image of God. We were made that way. We weren't made like an animal. We were made far more precious because we are immortal souls, spirits that will never die. In that light, we note then pretty quickly this. Jesus speaking said it in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When it says that God loved the world, He was referring to the human inhabitants. He wasn't talking about trees, cars, tractors, things that have souls. God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. He wanted us, you see, to appreciate an existence Beautiful, blissful, fervent. You'll notice He made that accomplished, of course, when Jesus died the way He did. And made it possible for us thus to be forgiven. The problem, of course, is if we choose to live in that sin, 
we are forfeiting the marvelous hope. We're forfeiting, of course, what the Lord made possible. It is with that I might call to your mind then those last verses I've asked you to consider on that slide. Did you notice earlier that Israel was such that, that you may live? Well, what about us? Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now let's face it, we're alive physically. But are we really alive? If we're not connected to Christ, we aren't. Jesus said, I came that they might have life. Now there's a lot of people in this world who aren't connected to Christ and they're alive physically, but they're not alive spiritually. We understand that. Jesus came that we might have life and that abundantly. John 10 verse 10. Does it that highlight then the nature of our purpose? The Lord wants us to have life. Do you have it? Do I? He came that we might, and if I don't, it's not His fault. That life that He offers, and the life then through the Christ, that life challenges us so wonderfully and in a very dramatic way. One more time. Seven and a half billion people living on this planet. And the Lord came that each and every one of us might have life and have it abundantly. My purpose then connected to Him. Am I fulfilling it? That's a good question, isn't it? As we close that slide and have asked this issue, isn't it what the Lord told Zacchaeus in Luke 19? This is the lesson text that Brother Dennis read just a few moments ago. Zacchaeus, of course, ran and climbed up in that sycamore tree, and it was his desire to see the Jesus come by. In verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come? May I suggest that will have a large bearing on why I'm here. The Lord came to seek me, to save me. The grandest matter in my life touches to the spiritual, not the physical. Let's look at number three. The message that Paul delivered to the Philippians. Perhaps your mind has already raced to two of the statements in chapter 1 of that book. Paul, of course, had already labored so often and so wonderfully in the service of Jesus Christ, and yet he was in prison at the time the book of Philippians was written. And in the opening chapter of that book, Paul could say, For me to live is Christ. Note verse 20. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's reason for living surrounded Jesus. It's as if the Lord was the hub and Paul's life, you see, were the spokes they radiated out from Christ. For me to live, he said, is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's existence, you see, his purpose for living here didn't surround money, possessions, anything like that. It surrounded Jesus Christ and being faithful to Him. You and I walked this planet almost 20 centuries after Paul did, and yet for those that are Christians, nothing has changed. For those who recognize the nature of what life is all about, nothing has changed. You might notice the verse following. Philippians 1, verses 21 on to verse 23. 
As Paul described in that particular context, he not only highlighted that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but he quickly said, for me, for the time being, it's more needful that I remain. There was more preaching to be done, more work to be done in light of the work of Christ in the church. But one more time, it surrounded Christ. Perhaps it's time to interject that thought for you and me. What about my life? Does it radiate out from Jesus the Christ? Do I find the reason for my living connection to Him? If not, then I'm not really moving very strongly in the direction of my purpose. Number four, also on that slide, what about the message that Paul delivered while he was preaching in Athens? Now, this is back in Acts 17, and you might recall that as Paul came into that city, his spirit was stirred within him as he saw all kinds of idols. They had erected various and sundry idols, and they just didn't want to leave anybody out. And so they even had one with this inscription, To the unknown God. To the unknown God. And based upon that, Paul said, Him whom ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. And Paul began a masterful presentation. A presentation calling them not to think about other matters, but what is the God of heaven and what's His purpose for you. You may notice in that connection, specifically verse 25. We'll look at verses 25 and 28 in passing, but it's that 25th verse that we will begin with. And it is at that point we read the following. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. As we begin, we notice Paul drew their attention to the fact of God's greatness, the sheer exquisiteness and the awesomeness of Him. He highlighted that He is Lord of heaven and earth, and then he said this, "...neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything." seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. That life that you and I have, the breath that we breathe, everything that we enjoy has been given to us. We can't claim we've earned it. We can't claim that we've merited it. It has been a tremendous gift, and who gave it? God did. And in that observation... He gives you your life, and if He gave it to me, do I not then in earnestness and in fairness live in such a way that it follows the directive He has given? I don't own it. Look at verses 30 and 31 in the same context. The times of this ignorance. To them He said, look, all of these idols you've erected, all of this supposed worship as you have offered, it is not appropriate. Because of this, the times of this ignorance, you're dealing ignorantly. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Did you notice? Every human being, everywhere, doesn't matter the country, doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter the society, doesn't matter the age, everybody, everywhere faces this reality. God made you to the point you need to repent. For this reason, verse 31, because He's appointed a day 
in which He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Everybody. Our life here, you see, if we surround it with those matters we noted earlier today from what men have said, all the money I acquire, I can't take it with me. You can fill the casket with it if you want, but it's going to be buried and that's where it'll stay. It's not going to enter heaven. Revelation 21 tells us this. The possessions we acquire, it's not going to heaven either. Isn't it interesting to see then that our purpose surely must transcend what this life has to offer? It is for that reason, let's close that slide with number five. One last verse about faithfulness. Why am I here? Why are you here? Revelation 2 verse 10, and may we paint this picture. That little message was written to one of the seven churches of Asia. It was the church at Smyrna. And it was a congregation that was shortly to endure a great deal of difficulty, challenge, strife, and imprisonment. Can you imagine having been a member of the church at Smyrna? In about the middle to latter part of the first century, and somebody stood up and read this message, you're going to be cast into prison, but be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Be cast into prison, but what about my nice house? What about my job? I'm going to have to lose my job if that happens. Well, what about the, the land I've got to plow and till when I lose it? What about the herds that I'm going to lose? Jesus didn't say anything about any of that. The only thing that's important, you be faithful till death. Nothing else matters. Did you hear what he said? Nothing else matters. Because if you're faithful till death, you'll leave this place and go home to glory. To a place far better than this. To a place far richer and more exquisite than this. The purpose of life. I think the Bible has hammered it home fairly clearly to what we've said today. Let's close the lesson with one final verse. And my suspicion is, it's the one you thought of first. I saved it to last. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Now Solomon wrote that as he closed the book of Ecclesiastes. After in fact wrestling with a number of things through that book and, and presenting many tremendous truths, he ultimately came to this conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is it. Why am I here? Why are you here? Why is any human being here? Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. It was Israel's duty as we learned back in Deuteronomy 4 and 8. As the Lord taught, it's been our duty as well, and Paul so lovingly highlighted it in his life. Today, the question then for me and for you is this, am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I fearing God and keeping His commandments? If so, these other matters will fall into place and we will utilize the matters of our life in service to the Lord. But if that opening priority is not right, chances are high we will misuse the talents and blessings we have. 
we'll misdirect the matters provided to us, and we will, of course, in a very regretful way, fail at our purpose. It might be that in the sound of my voice today, one or more, upon reflection of the purpose in life, has reached a point of great challenge, mental anguish, because the reason God made you, you are not fulfilling. But you know, as long as the opportunity is there as it is today, you can come back to your first love. If you once were a faithful Christian, you knew what it was like to sojourn day by day, walking hand in hand with Jesus the Christ. And you knew about the destiny because you were following His steps. But perhaps you've started walking on a different path. He's walking one way, you're walking a different one. That won't work well for you. Because he's headed to heaven, you see, Hebrews 6, 19. That means you're not if you're walking a different pathway. Today, we would be delighted to approach God, and in light of your repentance and confession, he's promised to forgive you. And you could again be in wonderful harmony with that purpose in life. It might be, though, that someone has never obeyed the gospel initially. You knew that Jesus died for you. You know that your life is not as it ought to be because you know you're a sinner. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Do you think things will be better tomorrow without Christ? Did He not say, without me, ye can do nothing, John fifteen five. So you need Him to help you. You need His guidance. You need His strength. Through Him, Revelation 12, verse 11, you can defeat the devil. But without Him, you have no hope. The devil is wiser, stronger, clever, and more keen than you are. You need Jesus. If today we could be of assistance and help, you need to believe in the Lord. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And then your purpose, you will in fact be able to smile every day because you know why you're here and you know where you're headed. But today, if we could help anybody in either of these ways, we'd like to do it at once while together we stand and sing the chosen song.